Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you that we have it in our hands, Lord. Thank you that it isn't something, Lord, that is out of reach, but it's reachable for us, understandable through your Holy Spirit. And that's what I ask, Lord, that you would help us today, God. Help us to understand your word. Lord, open our eyes to the wonders of your word. Open our deaf ears, God, to hear your voice in the Holy Spirit, Lord. Open our minds to understand the principles that are there and open our hearts, God, to receive them and live them out and apply them to our lives. God, your word is so precious to us, and that's why we study it. That's why we dive into it. And God, I pray that you would see our heart there, that we respect and we trust your word. So, Lord, minister to us today. God, give each one of us a special word, Lord, through your word, God, a special message, Lord, that it may go deep into our lives, that it would bring lasting change. And so, God, we give you this time. We lift it up to you. We pray for it. We ask for the anointing of your Holy Spirit right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, before there was shopping online with Amazon, there was mail order and the Sears catalog. Around 1894, Sears put out this 532-page catalog with products from like groceries to soap to guns to violins. Even they were even selling cars in that. It was essentially this book, this real thick like telephone book thing. It was essentially like our modern-day Amazon. How many people shop Amazon? Yeah, I do, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like that. They get everything, and you can grab anything you need. The reason was farmers usually purchase supplies from the local general store. But with the Sears catalog now, you could mail in your order and get what you wanted shipped directly to you, bypassing the high price and limited stock of the local general store. So it became popular. It was a big thing. The orders came in uh, all over from all everywhere. And, and, you know, I was thinking, wow, just like living on the island, yeah, sometimes you can't get it locally on the island, so you go where? Amazon or eBay or something, right? So, but it became so popular, the orders came in too much and too fast. The company could not keep up. I was even reading, they would even, they didn't know what to do, so they actually burned the orders. <laughs> like, oh, oops, sorry, kind of lost it, I guess. Well, in 1895, a man named Julius Rosenwald came in and got control of all the chaos he organized the mess. He brought order to the orders, you can say. With a move into a new building, like it was about three blocks square, nine stories high, Sears and Roebuck was able to handle then in this one location all the shipping, all the receiving, even all the warehousing. They installed modern systems, you know, in order to fulfill these orders, like a machine that could process 27,000 envelopes an hour. I mean, think of this is the end of the 1800s, so this is pretty crazy. It was so amazing, they say that Henry Ford himself went there to get ideas for his assembly line to make cars. Under Rosenwald, the company, Sears, went from $750,000 a year to an income of $50 million a year. So it pays, really, yeah, to organize, to bring things in order. Well, as we continue in our study through the book of 1 Corinthians, we actually start this new section in this book. It really addresses, Paul is addressing the chaos, you can say, that was going on in the worship at the Corinthian church. And Paul begins here in this first section we're going to look at, in this first part, with the issue of worldly values, so to speak cultural values that were brought into the worship service by the misuse of what we'll see called head coverings. And that was between how men and women wore them. So Paul shows that God has a certain order to things and its application gives him glory. So I titled the message this morning, His Order for His Glory. That's our title, His Order for His Glory. Glory. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 2 to verse 16. We finished chapter 10 last week, went up to verse 1. Now we're going to cross over here and go into verse 2 
through verse 16 this morning. His order for his glory. Now our outline this morning is this. Number one, God's designation. Number two, God's determination. And number three, God's distinctions. I'll give them to you as we go. Well, let's begin here. Number one, God's designation. His order for his glory. And number one in our outline, God's designation. God's designation. Take a look with me here now. First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2. It says, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. And we'll stop right there. We begin here with the apostle writing this first word, now. Now, now that word, it, it, it helps us cross into this next section. And this is what Paul is doing. He's beginning this new section in the book of 1 Corinthians. Remember, Paul has been answering some questions and concerns that the Corinthians had asked through, this previous, through a previous letter. I mean, we don't have that, but we can see that he's been answering some questions. We saw how Paul addressed the whole issue of singleness and marriage. Remember, we did a series of that in chapter 7. And then he, he talked about Christian liberties, about, hey, about is it okay to eat meat that had been offered to idols? And we covered that whole thing from chapter 8 to chapter 10 into verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, as we come into this next section, in the next four chapters, Paul tackles the problems they've been having in their worship service. Things are getting chaotic. Things are kind of getting out of control during their time of communion when they partake in the elements, going to the Lord's Supper, and, and also in their exercise of their spiritual gifts. It was getting a little out of control there. And so he's going to cover those things as we continue our study here. Here right now, today, he answers the question concerning head coverings, which really reflect upon God's created roles of submission and leadership, just to give you an idea of what we're getting into. So as we come into this verse 2, Paul starts with this new section saying, now, here's this new section, I praise you, brethren. He's like, hey, you know, it's great, you guys. It's great about you guys that you remember, yeah, all the things I delivered to you, all the things I've taught you. All the things, remember Paul started church and he taught there for, for a year and a half. And uh, it's great you guys remember that. It's great even in verse 2 says that you guys keep the tradition. Now the word tradition in the Greek is paradosis in the original language. And it means that which has been passed through with the teaching. And essentially what he's talking about, not so much tradition of men, but more of the word of God, the truth of God that he has taught. So that's the idea here when he says the traditions. So it's talking about the doctrine, the principles of the word. So Paul's like, hey, it's great that you guys trust and respect God's word. Well, then he goes on to verse 3. He says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So it's great you guys trust, respect God's word, you're holding to the teaching, but here's something I really want you to know. Here's something, here's a principle you got to get into your minds as we enter into this next part. The thing you have to understand is the head or the authority over every man is Christ. So man submits to the leadership of Jesus. Makes sense, right? Then he goes on. The head or the authority of the woman is man. So she, the woman, submits to the leadership of the man. And then at the end of verse 3, Paul adds, the head of Christ is God. So Jesus submits to the Father God. So you see what he's plainly laying out here, right? He says the woman is in submission to the man, and the man is in submission to Jesus, and Jesus is in submission to the Father. So what Paul is laying out here, he's saying that there's an order that comes from this. There's an order of authority and submission. This is God's designation of the chain of authority. Pretty straightforward here. Now, just to give you a little idea of what we're moving into, J. Vernon McGee said, this is authority for the sake of order to eliminate 
confusion. So there's an order here so that it's, it doesn't get crazy and chaotic. I mean, it's like that saying, right? Too many sh- chefs in the kitchen spoil the broth, right? So he's starting to lay these things out because there was no order going on in their worship service. So the point here in these couple of verses is this. Trust and respect this principle of God's designation of the chain of authority and submission that keeps things in order. Trust and respect this principle of God's designation of the chain of authority and submission to keep things in order. So that's what he's starting to roll into and he gives this principle. You know, years ago when my daughter Janae was really small, I remember she came up to me and she asked me after the service, she said if she could go and do something with with some friends after church. And I'm thinking, I was kind of half done with talking to some and I thought, you know what, um, go ask mom. And then she frustratingly said, dad, mom said to come and ask you. So, you know, there's this back and forth going on, and my not taking that lead created some confusion here. And that's the idea here. The idea that we even need to receive this morning, are we respecting God's designations? Are we respecting the, this order that God has set up himself? Perhaps that's why there's some chaos and confusion going on. Well, Okay, so having us establish that principle now, Paul now applies, right? When we study our Bible, we learn principle and truth, and we take that truth and we apply it into our lives. So Paul actually, as he goes on, is applying now that principle. Take a look at verse 4 now, right now. Verse 4 says, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. So Paul goes on to apply this to the men in the church in the worship service. So he says when a man is praying or he's prophesying during that worship service and has his head covered, what happens? He dishonors his head. He dishonors himself and God who gave this designation of authority to the man. So Paul applies now the principle of man's role with what he's culturally wearing in the worship service. Now that's a key word here to help you understand this passage. This passage is, is, is hard to understand. It's a little bit controversial, especially in our society we live today. But understand that Paul is applying this about the man's role and it, with what he's culturally wearing in the worship service. Now with that said, you might be thinking, wait, wait, wait. I thought the Jews wore like that yarmulke, right? Um, that little skull cap on, on their head. I mean, what's Paul saying? You, you're not supposed to wear that? Is that what he's going? Isn't that what you're supposed to do according to the Jewish tradition? And that actually started like back in the fourth century. It was later than this time. Well, Paul is actually speaking to the Corinthians. That's who this letter is written to. It's written to Gentiles, the Greeks there, not the Jews. So understand the context and the background and what's going on here. See, in, in the city of Corinth, the Gentile, the Greek men, they would go and worship at the many pagan temples there. Remember, we've been studying. They would go there and, and kind of take their robe and take their loose folds and put it over their head. They would cover their head. They would have like a, a, like a hoodie over them as they went into the temple, and that was culturally what they did. Also understand that in this ancient city, it's the woman who the woman who wore sort of a veil over her head and their, their, their face when they went out in town. And, and that was what they did culturally there. Men would not culturally do that. Only the woman would do that. So Paul is saying this basically. Men shouldn't wear a head covering in church when you're worshiping. You know why? First of all, it's worldly. It's like how the pagans do the worship. And secondly, it's what women wear in public, which in that society was a sign of submission to her husband, submission to her father if she was single. So the cultural wearing of a head covering dishonors God's designation. Does that make sense to you now? 
Uh, first read, you might be, maybe some of you guys read before you come, you're going, whoa, what, what is this about now, you know? So culturally, Paul is applying this culturally to men who are putting their hoods up and like, you know, like they go into pagan temples and stuff. He's saying, hey, culturally wearing of the head covering dishonors God's designation, that order that he has set, the principle that we had read in verse 3. And also in a similar way now, look at verse 5. Paul goes on and says, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one of the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Okay, if a woman now, he, he applies the principle to the woman. He says, look, if a woman now prays in the worship service or she exercises her gift of prophecy and she's prophesying and her head is uncovered, that means she does not do culturally like wear the veil over her head. She dishonors her head. She dishonors herself and God who has set this designation. And it's just like, this is what Paul is saying, the same shame as if she were to have her whole head shaved. For, if you look in verse 6, if a woman is not covered, you might as well be shorn or be shaved, or shave your head. And since a shaved head is shameful, then Paul basically is saying then a woman's head should be covered. So Paul now applies now the principle of the woman's role to what she's culturally not wearing while participating in the worship service. Now understand in that society, women who didn't wear veils were usually the temple prostitutes. So you can kind of get an idea why Paul is saying they're usually the temple prostitutes. Also back then, in that society, when a woman was caught in adultery, they had their head shaved to shame her, and they forced her not to wear their veil to shame them. So you understand what Paul is saying. Women shouldn't wear a head covering or, or should wear a head covering, for if you don't, first of all, it's worldly. It's like you're a prostitute walking around. And secondly, it's shameful because you look like an adulterer, and I would say there's a third thing. It sends a message of rebellion since in that society, the veil was a symbol of submission. So culturally, that's a key word here, not wearing the head covering dishonors God's designation. So you see there's a principle and it's applied to the men. It's applied to the women. And then Paul puts it all together. Look at verse 7. For a man indeed ought ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. So Paul puts this together, puts both of applications to men and women. He says the man should not cover his head for he is made in the image of God. When we were studying the book of Genesis, we learned that, right? God made man and women in the image of, of him. And what does that mean? God made us where we had the moral capabilities to choose right and wrong. God gave us the, the spiritual capabilities to choose God, to be saved, to follow him. Here, Paul's taking that, but not only that capability to reason, to follow, make that choice, but God has also given man that authority, that assignment, that place in this order, just as God has authority over man. So that's the idea about that image. So then it gives God glory right? It, it, God is glorified. It's the glory of God. It, 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 we give God honor and respect when a man does what God said. That's the glory he's talking about here. When a man takes the lead as God designated, God is glorified in his role of leadership. I read about a manager who was uh, complaining he didn't get any respect. So he decided to put up a sign on his office door that read, I am the boss, in big, bold letters. Well, after lunch, he came back to find that someone put a note under his sign that said, your wife called. She wants your sign back. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> but think about it. 
It's, it's shameful too, right? There's no glory yeah, in this, in this manager not being the boss like he should be. So that's the idea here. Then Paul says at the end of verse 7, but woman is the glory of man. Now, wh- what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, just like the man, when the woman submits to the man's leadership, yeah, it honors the authority of man, which honors God, which is uh, the glory of man is it honors him, which that glory uh, honors the Lord. One pastor said, a truly spiritual woman will prove her spirituality by willingly submit to that authority, right? Because that's the way God ordered things. So Paul's point here is this. When you come to worship culturally where that which honors God's designation of authority and submission, that's, that's a straight point here of what Paul's putting forth. When you come to worship Culturally where that which honors God's designation of authority and submission. So understand there's a principle and there's an application for men and women in this principle. You know, I've heard of churches where women have to come to church wearing hats. And, And I heard of, you know, women coming in. They had all kinds of different kind of hats and fancy hats. Matter of fact, I read one article where it was talking about hats are coming back. And, and they went to a church and one woman said, a hat says you're a lady. It says you care. And I, I like that. I think, I think that's the heart. That's the tradition there. That's in their culture there. That's what they do. Some churches say, hey, men got to wear a suit and tie when they come to church. And men have to wear dresses. No pantsuits, no jeans, nothing like that. Right? And I understand that. I, I've talked to some friends who are on the mainland. That's what they do. That's what they like because they say, we honor God. We dress up for the Lord, you know, for meeting the Lord. And I'm like, yeah, praise the Lord. You're honoring God. And, well, you know, churches have different styles and, and based on their culture and where they're at. And that's why, you know, in Hawaii, dressing up is the aloha shirt, right? You know, that, that's, our, that's our style. That's our, our, our culture. That's what we do. I mean, think about it. If, if you went to a church in Samoa, you probably would find men wearing what? A lava lava, right? And, and so, hey, but that's okay, you know? That's according to their style. Is it okay? Is it right? Sure. It's all right. That's their culture. So Paul said, hey, when, to the Corinthians, he's speaking to him. Hey, when you come to worship culturally, wear that which honors God's designation of authority and submission. See, the principle of God's designation is, is applied to however that culture is. That's the hard part about this passage. But if you can get into your minds, we're talking about principle and application, it'll help you out. The thing is, don't take this too far. Don't take it too far. Keep in mind, cultural trends may change, but creation principles stay the same. Yeah? The principles always stay the same, but cultural trends may uh, change. You know, we, we can wear things. We can put things on our head. We can do things in, to our bodies and stuff. And culturally, it may be okay. But how does that, how does that work with the Lord and his principles? That, that's what we really got to think about. I mean, think about what cultural trends do you hold on to that actually dishonor God's principles? Or put it this way, on the other side, what cultural traditions do you hold legalistically over others? The thing is, Paul's trying to bring this in because how can we truly worship God if cultural trends truly offend him? Well, let's move on here to number two, God's determination. God's determination. We see number one, God's designation, his order for his glory. And now number two, God's determination. God's determination. Take a look with me here now. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. Paul goes on, he says, For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. 
Now, Paul goes on here. He's expanding this principle. And so he says, hey, man is not from the woman. Man didn't come from the woman, but woman came from man. He's talking about in the beginning. He's talking about creation. And we know the story, Genesis chapter 2, how God took one of Adam's ribs and he put him to sleep and made the woman, right? It's been said that how when uh, Adam woke up, he took one look at her and said, whoa, man. That's how he got that word. No, just joke. It's a joke. Just a joke. Yeah, no, actually woman means come out, you know, taken out of man means out of man. So we know that, that truth in Genesis 2, that's just, just the way what Lord, the Lord did. Nor, he goes on, verse 9, was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Again, in Genesis chapter 2, 18, the Lord looked at Adam and said, hey, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone, right? He needs a helpmate or helper in the New King James says. He needs someone to complement him, to complete him. You know, I think God was sitting there looking at Adam, looked at his garden in paradise and said, Adam's going to mess up my garden. He needs someone here. He needs some help here, right? Someone said the right man for the job is a woman. I know even though there's no, the, there's no sound of it, I can hear the amens silently from the wise, right? No, I'm <laughs> just joking. But, but right, God created, yeah, the man and the woman, the woman for the man. Man needs help, so here's the woman, you know, some, someone man really needed. So God determined that man be created first, we see here, and then woman as the order to his design, and it was all designed for man be created first and woman to come, created second, come help, help man. That was God's determination. That was his design. Verse 10. Paul says, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on, on her head because of the angels. For this reason, what reason? God made man first to be the leader, to be in authority, and then the woman to help. So because of what he did in creation, so then the woman should wear that symbol of authority on her head, that she is under submission. So she should, Paul is saying, culturally, now applying it, wear this veil. Then Paul adds this interesting comment. He says, because of the angels at the end of verse 10. What is that? Yeah. What is that? Well, Paul's saying, hey, women, sh women should fulfill their submissive assignment because, you know what? The angels are Watching. We know in 1 Peter 1.12, it says the angels are watching us, are watching believers, watching Christians on how this all works out. The idea really is this, that the angels re were created to serve and submit to the Lord. They're, they're, they're the, the best created creatures who fulfill submission to authority in, in that way and service. So as they live under the authority of the Lord, they're observing and watching how do the believers, how are they going to do what God had ordained. They know, right, how Satan fell, who was a created angel, when he rebelled against God's authority. And so they're watching to see how this order. And I'm just not talking about women, but men too. Our men are in submission to the Lord and the women in submission to the man's authority. You know, I was thinking about that, yeah. If you think about, wow, angels are watching us. And we, we, we talk about that like, oh, it's nice because they're, you know, watching over us, protecting us and all that. But think about what they see when we get in the flesh. <laughs> Ooh, think, and I'm ashamed. I'm thinking about what they've been seeing when they were watching me. So God set this order. That's his determination. Verse 11, Paul says this though. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For, verse 12, as woman came from man, even so man also comes from woman, but all things are from God. So nevertheless, even though there's this God-given order, order that God is in his determination had made. Nevertheless, by God's design, uh, man's been assigned that authority, woman's assigned that submission. Nevertheless, he's saying, man, neither is man independent. Man is not independent of woman, nor woman of, uh, is independent of, of man. 
He's saying we're all in the Lord, right? As believers, we're actually equal. And um, we're going to talk about that in a moment. And then he says, well, as man came from, as woman came from man, that's at the beginning in Genesis, even so man also comes through woman. That, that means after, now men are born from women, right? And everything, all things originates from God. The idea here is this, though there are roles, no one is superior, but we are all interdependent working together. No one is, is better. No one is greater. No, it's, it's not about that here. And that's something you've got to understand. Paul said in Galatians 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, that's a Gentile. There is neither slave or free. And then he said there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, as believers, we're all, we're all equal, men and women. We're, we're, no, no one's better, no one's less better, nothing of that. Perhaps as I've been speaking here, some of you ladies hearing the word women and submission together find the hair on your, your neck rising up. Like, oh, oh, oh. But understand, this is God's determination. This is his design. This is what he said. I'm not saying this. We're, we're just seeing what's there plainly in the word. But don't take this the wrong way. God here and Paul here is not saying that women have less ability or less intellect or they're less worth yeah? or they're, they're less spiritually than men. That's not what he's saying. We just have our assignments here. God is not saying men are superior and women are inferior. They may be from Venus, but no, I'm just joking. But, but you know, it, it's, it's none of that. We're, we're all equal. Matter of fact, um, God, uh, the New Testament actually, in the ancient times made, put women in a better place. But in the ancient times, women were treated like property rather than a person. And it's Christianity that really lifted up women, especially when Paul said, hey, we're all one in Christ. There's no male, no female. We're all equal here. I was thinking, if anything, women in many ways are superior to men. Amen, women. <laughs> I mean... We couldn't, I couldn't get anything done without my wife, yeah? Someone said, if you don't believe women are more advanced than men, just watch a man and a woman wrap a Christmas present. I'm so bad. I'm so bad at that. All right. So what is Paul saying here? God's determination is for men to lead, women to follow, so they can all work together to accomplish his will. That's the idea. This is his determination. This is the design here. God's determination is for men to lead and women to follow so they can all work together. So we can work together to accomplish God's will. Think of it this way. Steve Jobs, right, hired engineers and designers who were way smarter, way more gifted, you know, in their artistic eye than, than he was. I mean, he brought his ideas to the table and everything, but the reality is everyone as a team got together and they worked this out. Jobs was the boss. They submitted to his lead. And Apple could not run without proper submission to authority and everybody contributing to the team, right? That's the way it works. I mean, think if at the beginning of Steve Jobs and, and, and uh, Steve Wozniak, they could only take Apple so far. But today, it's a very large company. They got a spaceship campus. I don't know if you saw. I mean, they may be the first company that uh, it will have a trillion dollar, you know, value. I mean, crazy. But it happens through the organization. So that's the idea here. It's not that women aren't better or men are better or anything like that. As we step into our God-given roles and assignment, you find that, you know what, together you can accomplish great things. So I have to say this morning, are you lining up with what God created you to be? What God designated, what, what his design was? Or are you constantly fighting what God wants you to do? And I'm talking to both men and women, right? I mean, we see in, in the fall, and we've talked about this before, that, that because of the fall and sin in the flesh, where guys, guys should be leading, they don't. They're lazy. Yeah. 
They don't want to make the effort. They don't want to step up. They don't want to love their wives as Christ loved the church. They don't want to be the spiritual leader. Guys, how about you? Yeah. Are you stepping up into what God wants you to be? Are you lining up with what God created you to be, especially now as a believer? How about ladies? How about you guys? Are you trying to take control? Are you always constantly bucking? Are you always being stubborn? And even some ladies will go as far as with manipulation and deception, try and keep control. I was thinking about that like in the movie. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw my big fat Greek wedding. And my mother's talking to the daughter and she said, the man is the head, but the woman is the neck. And she can turn the head any way she wants. <laughs> it's a good one. I think it's super funny. But think about the reality. Is that right? Is that really right? The thing is, it's not about who's better, who should be in control, who's that. Who, you know, it's not about pride. It's not about selfishness. It's about just doing what God created us to do. And when we fit in that assignment, when we, when we do what God wants, you know, everything comes together. Everything comes together and we can work together. We help each other, right? And we can accomplish much together rather than trying to do it alone. Years ago, two students graduated from the Chicago Kent College of Law. One student was blind and the other was armless. Well, these two met in school, in this law school, became friends. And they met when the armless one guided the blind one down some stairs one day. They became close friends. They were, they were interdependent of each other. They helped each other out. They say the blind man carried the books that the armless man would then read aloud when they studied together. And all because of this interdependence, they graduated at the top of their class. We need each other, you guys. It's not about pride. It's not about who's in control. It's not about that. It's not about that. It's, it's just about doing what God wants us to do. And when we do what God wants us to do, we work together and things happen. Things happen. Well, let's move on here. Number three, God's distinction. God's distinction. All this ordering organization, his order for his glory. It's for the Lord. We've seen number one, God's designation. Number two, God's determination. And number three, God's distinction. God's distinction. First Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 13. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Paul's saying, so judge among yourselves. I mean, after all that I've said, let me ask you a rhetorical question here. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? What's the answer? No. No, it, it isn't. It's, it's like disrespectful to the Lord too, even. Now, Paul gives one more thought to this, and he goes on here in verse 14 and 15. He says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Now, Paul is coming to these, this part here. Yeah, Paul's writing here, basically, generally, he's speaking that men have short hair and women have long hair. He's just generally saying this. If a man then has long hair, doesn't it dishonor him? Because he's wearing his hair like a woman does. And when a woman has long hair, think about that, he's saying. It, it, it's a glory to her. It brings out her beauty. It brings out her grace. It shows she's a woman, you know, a woman, right? So then her long hair is, is like that covering. It's like the veil. It's like it's showing distinctively that she's a woman and she's honoring God with the role in, of submission that God has asked her to do. So the idea here is culturally, that's the key word now, culturally, the length of the hair can show God's distinction between a man and a woman or men and women. Culturally now. Understand, again, in this ancient culture, guys had short hair, ladies wore long hair. That was the way that culture was. Today, that's not so, right? Today, I mean, look around, even in our church, right? Some guys have long hair. It's okay culturally. 
Some ladies have short hair. That's okay. Our society accepts both. So if today you're in church and, and guys, you, you have super long hair, is, is, uh, what are you? Is, is that okay? You're a rock star. That's who you are. No. Um, are you, is it okay? Yeah, it's fine. Nothing's wrong. All, our culture has accepted short, long hair men and, uh, men and women, however it is. It's not about being legalistic about the length. Understand that, okay? It's about the distinction Paul is talking about. The distinction between a man and a woman. That you're a man, that you're a woman. That's what he's really focusing in on here. Verse 16, our last verse this morning, he says, but if anyone seems to be contentious, if they want to argue about this, he says, we have no such custom nor do the churches of God. And, and others, if you want to argue about this, no, this is, this is the way. This is the custom in other churches. I'm not just talking about you guys. I'm not pointing you guys. This distinction he's talking about. In other words, the cultural application of the principle is what Paul says, that's what I emphasize in the churches. That's what I'm, I'm really putting forward. See, God, even from way in the Old Testament, you know, even after creation, he emphasized that this distinction that there's men and there's women. There's, there, you're either male or you're female. And you are to show that in your life. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 5, it says a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, like she shouldn't dress up and be like a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment for all who do so are an abomination to the Lord. Understand that. And again, culturally, if you come in and dress, you know, like 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 a a, a woman, hey, God's not so happy with that. You know, culturally, if I come in with a real frilly kind of dress and everything, what would you think? Yeah, whoa, what happened to Pastor Rick? Yeah, you know, in our culture, there's still some lines that are drawn in that way, right? If I came in and I wore a kilt, yeah, you still say, well, what's with that? Yeah, you Japanese, you're not Scottish, you know, kind of thing. And over there, would have, maybe it would be fine. But see, there's still some lines culturally in our society on this island, how we look at things. So our last point for this morning is this. How could you go against the cultural distinctions between men and women and still bring acceptable worship to God? And that's really what Paul's bringing forth here in this whole section. You cannot go against the cultural distinctions of men and women, between men and women, and still bring acceptable worship to the Lord. It dishonors him, right? Deuteronomy 22, 5, it said, it's an abomination. God hates that. He's like, whoa, no, don't do that. You're like going against how I made male and female. Or you're going against the, the order, the designation, and what he has determined and how things are supposed to go. He's saying, oh, this distinction is important. So you cannot go against the culture of distinctions between men and women and still bring this acceptable worship, yeah, in, to, to the Lord in church. You know, during the um, 60s, young guys, right, grew hair, their hair long, right, in rebellion. Some of you, some of you guys, uh, you know, came from that era, right, and you had that long hair, the hippie hair and everything. But it was all in rebellion against the establishment, yeah. That was a whole hippie thing, right. And in, in the 70s, the feminists, right, cut their hair short in defiance against the traditional thinking. In the 80s, I think it was the 80s, I was thinking, I remember seeing, you know, male music artists beginning to wear a lot of makeup. Yeah, a lot of makeup on their face and, and like women do, making a statement. Now, today, in our society, in our culture, depending really on where you live, this isn't such a big Big issue, long hair, short hair. Uh, sometimes I see some guys with eyeliner, but hey, it's okay. You, you, you do what you like, you know. It's okay. Love you anyway in the Lord, you know, and all that, yeah. But, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of, yeah, accepting some of these different styles that maybe a long time ago would be like, whoa, what's going on? And then some people will do their styles and they'll wear different styles and, you know, wear their hair different or their makeup different or clothes different. Really because they're in defiance. They are in rebellion. Yeah, they don't want to be like mom and dad or this or that. And they, they do it, you know, in that way. 
Or even I, I was hearing about um, someone had pointed out, if you remember back in the election, how, and I think it's uh, the reporter Megan Kelly, yeah? She cut her hair short because she was going to be the moderator in, in the, in the uh, what do you call it? The debate, yeah. And, and she cut, why? It was a power move for her, yeah? So sometimes, you know, we do things with an attitude behind that. But Paul's like, hey, if you're doing that, yeah, it's like how can you go against the Lord? If your cultural distinctions and you're coming in like that, how can you come and say, well, I'm worshiping the Lord now when you're really going against his principles, yeah, against his truth, against how he's created, thing, created things? I mean, how can you come with that attitude and, and say, well, I'm blessing you, Lord. Oh, you're so great. Yeah, you're God. Yeah, we obey you and all of that. Perhaps, too, in the Corinthian church, and this connects us to our last section, right? Some Corinthian believers are probably flaunting their freedoms, yeah? They're probably, well, I have freedoms in Christ to do whatever I like, and they did whatever they like in their fashion statements. And culturally, though, it was against God's principles, his truth, yeah? Culturally, too, maybe it was even stumbling someone. You know, a lady comes into ch church, in the Corinthian church, they, she doesn't have the head covering, she's looking like one prostitute. Yeah, you can imagine someone walking in and that's just, well, I don't care what you think. I have freedom in Christ, you know. Hey, but is it good to stumble your brother there, right? And we learned all of that last time. Culturally, they're going, maybe going against God's distinction of men and women. How about when you come to church to worship? Is it really worship or is it? What you hold in rebellion and, you know, you come in with rebellion in your heart and, and disobedience, but you're still worshiping the Lord, lifting up your hands. We shouldn't even have that attitude no matter what we're, we're wearing. We should be caring about God's truth, God's principles. And that really comes down to it, right? It, the, the matter is the heart, right? You know, remember the Lord said to, he's looking for someone, he's looking for the heart, right? Right? Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. That's the issue. The dress, all that is what's, what's manifesting, you know, from what's inside. But how you come to church, I was thinking about that. We may not wear something on our head or wear crazy clothes or do something with our face or whatever or whatever our hair is. But how are you coming to church to worship the Lord? What's in your heart? Yeah? What's in your heart? Well, the Corinthians were coming to worship in ways that were really offensive to the Lord. They were not honoring God's design for men and women. So that was not only dishonoring God, but think about it. It was quenching the worship. It was a distraction to the people. And so Paul's like, hey, we got to come back to God's order by ordering what's in our heart, our attitudes of what we do. And that's what will bring the blessing. Here's Paul trying to take this chaos, bring some order, and he brings in the principle and the truth to bring in this order. And basically, hey, if you do this, the blessing's going to be there. There will be blessing in the worship. I'll close with this. A man hurt his finger and was directed by someone where to go for help. So he went to the building. There were two doors marked on the building, Physical and mental. He went in the physical door. Inside, there were another two doors, and, and there are marked bone and muscle. Not sure what to do. He went through the bone door. Inside, there were two doors. Inside that, surgery or therapy. He went through the surgery door. Inside that were two, two more doors that said major or minor. He went in through the door marked minor, and then he was outside again. <laughs> Later, someone asked him, did they help you in there? What happened? No, the man said, but I was impressed. That's the most orderly and organized place I've ever seen. <laughs> God is a God of order, right? So when things are done in his order, it will greatly impact our lives. So let's line up to God's design, be obedient in our roles and assignment, and you will find that there's no other way to live. No other way, God, guys. No other way but for his order, for 
his glory. Let's all stand together and we'll close with a word of prayer. Lord, as we come before you, we stand for you, God. We stand for your truth and we stand for the principles that you show us. Lord, this is a a difficult passage, Lord, for some. Difficult to understand. But for some, it's difficult to receive. For some, it, it seems so ancient and archaic. But Lord, in understanding what Paul was writing here, that there's principle and there's application. That there's your truth and how you created things and designed things. And there's how we apply them culturally. God, give us wisdom in this all. Lord, that we would not take things uh, too far in a legalistic way. And make everyone wear, may all women wear coverings and men can't wear hats, Lord. But it's not about that. It's about honoring you and giving you glory and sticking to your truths. So, Lord... As you ministered to us today, may we listen to what the Spirit is saying. May we find application through the conviction of your Spirit on where we are failing here, God. Sometimes it's a fine line, Lord, the culture, our society, but we know each one of us in our heart where we're crossing the line. And Lord, help us, God, to live out what you're asking us to do, to obey you, to to come and surrender all, Lord, to be who you want us to be, not what we want to be, but who you're making us into. In Jesus' We know that is you, step by step, day by day, Lord. You're conquering our hearts, Lord, area by area, Lord. All the little compartments in our heart and life and our attitudes and our motivations, Lord, you're moving and you're moving right now. I know, God, you are in my life. And Lord, As we stand before you, we stand to say, God, we want to live for you, God, not ourselves anymore. And we want to stand on your truth. And when we stand on your truth, Lord, we want to honor and respect it and trust in it. So, Lord, help us to trust in what you say. That when we line up and do what you ask, when we fall into the order that you have designated, that you have determined when we live to the distinctions, Lord, that you want us to be. May we find that blessing. May we find, God, that things falling into place. May we find fruit in our lives. May we, may we find our relationships getting stronger. May we find our, our lives, Lord, be more impacting on others. And, Lord, may we find you. For that's our deepest desire, Lord, is you. So, Lord, work in us, be in us, and may your spirit fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.